morning. Welcome to Southwoods Christian Church. We're so glad you're here with us, whether you're in person or on the live stream. Um, I just think it's a great day to worship our Lord, to claim his promises together, and to encourage one another as we walk in this life and seek to glorify him. So I'm so glad to have you here with us to do that this morning. We have a couple announcements I want to make sure I make out to you, and that is the uh, first one, we have our father-daughter dance coming up. Um, I think we have a slide that should come up for that. I don't have the date on the top of my head, but it is coming up soon. It's coming up really soon. So you should be aware of that father-daughter dance. Um, and that doesn't, you know, if you're, it doesn't have to be just fathers and daughters. It can be uncles, grandpas, you know, older brothers and stuff. That father figure and um, those young girls and, and older girls, you know, my wife's 26 and she's going to be there with her dad. So, you know, that, that goes on forever. And so I uh, encourage you to come and have fun with us with that. And then lastly, you know, we just have our ways to give uh, here at Southwoods, and you all have been so faithful with that. I just encourage you to continue doing that because God uses that um, in so many amazing ways. And, you know, one way I just want to point out this morning is, um, of course, God's heart for the nations. And I know that Southwoods, like, a, that, a big majority of that, of that um, giving goes towards missionaries, missionaries all over, all over. So you are impacting others. You are, like, please know that it is, it is a way that we can bring glory to God. So I encourage you to do that. You can see those three ways on the slide. And uh, we're going to have a video for you to check out here.
it all to him this morning. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you. We praise you. This is what living looks like. This is what freedom feels like. This is what heaven sounds like. We praise you.
We're going to continue to worship this morning, just inviting God into this place. This is a song we've done before, but we just encourage you guys, go ahead and sing along with us and just open your hands, open your heart um, to what God has to say to you today. Move without 
worship with all of you today. Um, we're getting ready to take some communion. And before we do that, I know that it's been just kind of a terrifying week. I've been praying a lot for Ukraine and um, a lot going on that can be really scary. And I saw something on Instagram, which, you know, who knows how great that is, but it was, it was somebody saying, like, how can you not be depressed? With everything that you see going on in the world, like, the whole world should be depressed. And as a therapist, I was like, sad and I'm praying and I'm hopeful but I think that's what God gives us through Jesus this freedom and this hope that we are not living for right now like the whole world could go to war and Jesus is still there God is still present he is with us he loves us that's what this is all about amen I just want to read this scripture to you because it's so full of hope in this time of trial. It says, it's 1 Peter 1 and it's 3 through 8. It says, the hope of eternal life. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you pure and undefiled beyond any reach of change or decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation so we don't have to be afraid, which is already, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, that your faith is far more precious than gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor to much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you have not seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him is the salvation for your souls. So we're going to sing this song together, just trusting God through the trials, knowing that he can knock down giants. And then we're going to take communion. I just encourage you, worship this God. Trust this God. Find joy and hope in this God. That is all we have. Like when we might go to nuclear war, guys, and like we need Jesus. So let's sing this together.
is no fear in your love. Bless us, Father. Be with us. Let us feel your presence. We want you. We love you. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You can all have a seat and take communion. want us to take a few minutes and just pray for uh, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Ukraine and I invite you to bow your heads. I'm going to attempt to pray a portion of this passage that Kate just read to sort of pray some of that over them and just invite you to join me in that. And Let's bow our heads together then we'll dive into our message time. Father we thank you for your faithfulness that you never leave us, you never forsake us. With us and rejoice with us when we rejoice. You mourn with us when we mourn. Um, we're two or more gathered in your name. You are there in their midst, and we know that believers are gathered together right now. Um, many are fleeing, but many are gathered in places, uh, every place from subway stations to underground bunkers to, um, you know, in some instances military front lines and Lord our request is that you would be with your people wherever they are whatever's going on would you be their defender would you be their peace their hope would you fill them with the glorious expectation that your word tells us about 
May they live even in their present moments with great expectation that they have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that kept it's kept in heaven for them, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change, decay, war and bombs. Would you fill them with faith, O Lord? Would you protect them by your power until they receive the salvation which you've promised them, which is ready to be revealed in the last day for all to see, as your word says. Father, would you give them hope that these trials they're now going through will strengthen their faith in ways they can't perceive right now. And even though their faith is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, May their faith, which is far more precious than mere gold, may their faith remain strong through all of these trials. And Lord, our request together is that it might bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Lord, would you reward them for trusting you? And I know the reward they long for is the salvation of their souls. Jesus to be exalted and glorified, not just in the heavens, but throughout the earth. May it be so, Lord. You taught us, Lord Jesus, to pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens. And that's our request, Lord. We ask for that, that righteousness would displace evil everywhere throughout the earth. It's a grandiose request that only you can answer. But we ask for it in faith. Knowing that it was bought and paid for with the precious blood of Jesus on the cross and when he said it is finished, he meant the redemption of every person, the price for our sins was paid for once and for all time. But he also meant that the clock was beginning to tick for evil. And Father, we look forward to the day, hasten the day when Jesus comes and evil is rounded up and dealt with once and for all time. Come, Lord Jesus. But until that day, may you give us strength and faith to represent you well. We want to bring you glory and honor by our faith-filled lives. You said, Lord Jesus, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Oh, Lord, help us, help us, that when you come, we might be among the faith-filled. We ask for that, Lord. Now, as we look at your word, would you open our minds and hearts? Would you help us to walk in your ways? We'll give you credit for every good thing that happens as a result of that. We lift this prayer together in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hope you'll continue to pray for churches, believers, the lost, you know, throughout the earth. Because um, if things aren't getting people's attention, um, we've really grown calloused. So pray that, pray that people's hearts will be opened. I have a question for you that I want you to think about with me this morning. Here's the question. Are you a good person? And how do you know that? How do you know that? According to several social media platforms like Reddit and Twitter and some others that we've seen, uh, there's an easy way for all of us to tell who's a good person. I mean, it's, it's really easy, according to them. It, it, there's extensive discussions on this subject on the Internet, and here's one that's had a lot of uh, promotion, let's say. Uh, according to these extensive discussions on the Internet, the only way to truly know a person's character is to secretly follow them to the grocery store <laughs> and watch what they do with their shopping cart when they're done with it. This is, this is the ticket here. You know, if they put it in the designated shopping cart collection area in the parking lot, they're a good person. 
However, if they leave it to drift into parked cars and vacant parking spaces and snow plows are having to plow around it, and well, they're morally bankrupt. Uh, they're just not a good person. They're a bad person. You know, one passionate advocate for this viewpoint, this character test, writes this. It's got to be a guy. This couldn't be a woman. It has to be a guy. Uh, uh, you just see. Objectively, the correct actions, I say that because nobody's more objective and then not objective than a guy. Okay, so anyway, that's, <laughs> never mind. Objectively, the correct action to take this person writes is to put the, the shopping cart where it's supposed to go. It's not illegal to abandon the cart, so you can do that without consequence. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you or fine you. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart, unless it's Aldi. <laughs> File that away. So a good person, this person concludes, will return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. When I ran across that, that, ran across that this past week, I just, I just thought, you know, if that's what our culture sincerely thinks a good person is, then we've got a really low character bar anymore. You know what I'm saying? This is like we are really confused as a culture, particularly when you consider the extent to which this has been discussed on the Internet. Here's the thing. God regularly tests our character for goodness and virtues, but he uses something a little different than a shopping cart to do that most of the time. God uses adversity, hardship, suffering, trials. It's part of why life is filled with adversity. It's an opportunity for our faith to grow, for it to be purified, for us to become more good, godly, substantive people. Now, obviously, we have the capacity in those moments to become something else, and we see that going on in our world at times, but God uses adversity, and that's why we're in this current message series, When Faith is Tested. We're learning from the Bible about this and making our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter together. And the caliber of goodness that today's passage of Scripture calls us towards is truthfully pretty shocking. I mean, it really is. If you think deeply about what we're going to read in just a few moments, uh, it will challenge you. In fact, it's been challenging believers for, for nearly 2,000 years because this passage we're going to read bluntly addresses some subjects that are popular excuses for justifying evil. Did you hear what I just said? This passage addresses some subjects that have been and still are popular excuses for justifying evil. But do you know what God tells us to do over and over again in the text as he addresses these subjects? Repeatedly, he tells us, do good, no exceptions. As followers of my son, I want you to do good no exceptions. If you have your Bible with you today, I want to, uh, to invite, uh, invite you to open it to 1 Peter 2 with me. We're going to read a few verses together. We're going to listen to what God might have to say to us in these verses, and um, I hope you'll just reflect on it and wrestle with it, because I've been doing that for a long time in this passage. So 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 and following is where we're going to start. The Bible says there, For the Lord... For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they're cruel 
For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. If you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds, you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have returned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. As I said earlier, today's passage has been a difficult one for believers, in particular for centuries. It touches on the subjects of government, slavery, suffering. And let's just be honest, no one's particularly fond of any of those subjects, right? There's none of us. Nevertheless, did you notice the common thread throughout the passage as we read it? God sincerely wants us, his children, to do good, to be respectful, to be humble, to be virtuous, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. He wants us to do good always. In the light of what he's saying, he's saying really no exceptions, no exceptions. And here's what's so shocking about that. By addressing the subjects that this passage includes, God is gently exposing some of the top excuses that people have used for millennia to justify evil, rebellious, corrupt behavior. I mean, he's going right after those excuses in this text. And for the next couple of minutes, I want to briefly spotlight a few of those excuses. I want to draw our attention to how God wants us to respond to each of those excuses. And I hope that you'll listen really carefully. I hope that you'll wrestle with God has to say to all of us here. I think it can strengthen our faith. It can point us in the right direction. It can help us to understand how the evil one subtly deceives us sometimes. It, it can really help us in some key ways. So one of the first excuses that people have used throughout much of history to justify evil, rebellious, corrupt behavior is this. I'm a mistreated citizen. I'm a mistreated citizen. The government is treating me wrong. It's corrupt. It's bad. It's evil. Have you ever known someone who or justified doing something wrong because an elected official did something wrong? You ever known somebody who, who chose to do something wrong because they'd spent four hours waiting at the Department of Motor Vehicles and when they finally got to the counter to complete their paperwork, they were missing something, a signature, a paper, something from the insurance company. And so they got to go back home to get it and then come back and wait all over again the next day. Woo! Let's key the cars as we leave. You ever know anybody do that kind of thing? You ever known somebody who would cheat on their taxes because they were ticked off about government waste? What's at the root of all that? I mean, really, what's at the root of it? I'm a mistreated citizen. I deserve a better, more competent, honest, transparent, fill in your adjective, government. So since they're rebellious and behave badly, I can too. I got it coming to me. What does 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 say to us when we think that way? If your believer says, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Whether the king is head of state or the officials he's appointed. Verse 15, he continues, it's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Just pause right there. Guess what? 
if my life is not virtuous, guess what? They're not ignorant, foolish people making false accusations about me. What's going on? They're pointing out the truth. So he's just saying, I want your life to be so honorable that it would silence people who make foolish accusations against you for you're free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Respect the king. God's saying, for heaven's sake, do good. No exceptions. Now, someone might say, the Bible was written before some of the corrupt people who are in leadership in our day came along, you know? If God was writing it now, if he was writing this now, he might tell us something different. He might might put more qualifiers in the text. This may be what he would do. I want you to think about this with me. Do you remember who the king, the emperor was, when the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write the book of 1 Peter? Do you remember who was king, the emperor at that time? Nero. Go Google Nero. Read about his life. You find he was famous for his personal debaucheries, for his extravagance at other people's expenses. He burned Rome. He was famous for blaming it on the Christians, so he had public justification for persecuting and killing them in mass. Nero had gladiators kill Christians for sport. And he fed them to wild beasts in the Colosseum before cheering crowds, arrowhead stadium kinds of crowds at the Colosseum of cheering unbelievers as believers were suffering and dying, being torn limb from limb and massacred and martyred. Nero was a prophetic forerunner of the biblical Antichrist. Nevertheless, God prompted the apostle Peter to tell the followers of Jesus during that time, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority whether the king, which can be translated emperor, would be better translated emperor, if we understood the original context, but whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. About that same time, God prompted the apostle Paul to tell the believers who lived in Rome, remember the city that was burning and who was getting blamed for it? It was during that era that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in Rome, and he had this to say, Romans 13, 1, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. And about a year before Peter and Paul were both martyred by Nero, okay, they were both martyred by Nero, Paul gave this instruction to a pastor and church planner named Titus who was going to be carrying on his work after his martyrdom. Paul knew it was coming. Knew it was coming. It was just a matter of time and precise circumstances that he didn't have knowledge of. But this is what Paul told Titus, Titus 3. Remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. They should be obedient, always ready to do what's good. They must not slander anyone and must avoid quarreling. Instead, they should be gentle and show true humility to everyone. It's sobering, but the consistent message was do good. Do good always. No exceptions. Now, at this point, someone probably feels compelled to ask a really good question. And this is a good, important question. What if those in authority redefine evil and start telling us that that which used to be evil is now good? What do we do about that? And they're threatening us with punishment if we don't obey them. What would God want us to do then? The Apostle Peter answers that question in Acts chapter 4, when he and the Apostle John were told by those in authority not to preach anymore about Jesus. You see, at that point, that moment, the authorities had concluded 
that preaching about Jesus was a bad thing. This was breaking the law in their view. So what was uh, Peter and John's response? If you look at Acts 4, verse 19 and following, Peter and John replied to them, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we've seen and heard. The council, this is the group that was, you know, who made the rule that they shouldn't preach in Jesus' name anymore. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who'd been lame for more than 40 years. Here's the principle, friends. God's expectation of us is this. Do good by God's definition of goodness. Always. No exceptions. Do good by God's definition of goodness. Always. No exceptions. Now, there are more excuses alluded to in today's text, and people have used them throughout much of history to justify evil and rebellious and corrupt behavior. And I want to quickly spotlight some of them in the time that we have left, because maybe some of you are just still processing that, and I encourage you to, to process. If you need to, go back and listen to the message again online and just reflect through it if you need to do that. But there are a few other excuses, and a second excuse that shows up in the text is this, people have used the the excuse of justifying bad behavior because I'm a slave. I'm being mistreated. The Apostle Peter addresses slavery in this passage because it was common in the Roman era, throughout the Roman Empire. And slaves were often mistreated. So they were tempted to use the mistreatment of an owner as justification for vengeful, rebellious behavior. In our minds, many of us would justify that. And yet Peter says to the slaves who happen to be Christians, he says in verse 18, he says, You who are slaves, submit to your masters with all respect. Verse 18, he says this, Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of His will, whose will? His will. Conscious of His will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. Thankfully, slavery is no longer sanctioned by government in America. But that said... There is no shortage of people in our culture who think of themselves as oppressed and mistreated. Have you noticed that? All of us who are oppressed and mistreated, I mean, we're multiplying throughout America. How many of us have cried out at some point in our lives, I'm a mistreated employee. You wouldn't believe what my boss did to me or my company. What they did was unthinkable, or or my board, or fill in the blank. Others have cried out, I'm a mistreated union member. I'm a mistreated student. I'm a mistreated teacher. I could go on. The list is long. We have to think about this if we're believers. How do you think God would want Christians to respond to that kind of real or imagined mistreatment? If he's telling slaves to submit to masters, even if they're cruel. You think God would want you and me to submit to authority in our situations and learn to patiently endure unjust treatment? You think that's his expectation? Don't you think he'd want us to do good by his definition of goodness always? No exceptions? That doesn't mean we can't change jobs or schools or circumstances at some point, if that seems to be the wise thing to do and God's leading to do that. But it does mean you and I need to devote ourselves to doing good, 
devote ourselves to respectfully learning to endure unjust treatment because we're conscious of God's will. Well, I'm a mistreated spouse, someone might say. What about me? That's what 1 Peter 3 goes on and talks about. We looked at that passage, remember, some of you around a couple of weeks ago. We worked our way through 1 Peter 3. We did it out of order, you remember, because of Valentine's Day. Did that, so um, go back and listen to it if you missed it. But let me just summarize and say, God wants husbands and wives to do good to one another, always, no exceptions. It's really what he's appealing for in the passage. Well, I'm a Christian. I'm being targeted for mistreatment specifically because I'm a Christian. I'm suffering for it. What do I do? The words of Scripture. Look at, look at what the text says. 1 Peter 2, verse 21. God called you and me to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you... I must follow in his footsteps. And then look at this description of him. I mean, talk about a bar that is set high, okay? He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted. He didn't tweet back. That's what it's saying. He didn't threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what's right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. He not only lived the perfect life, but he paid the price so that when we fall short, those sins can be covered. That's what that latter part of the passage is telling us. But the bottom line is you and I are called to be and to do good always. No exceptions. We're called to follow in Jesus' footsteps. So I need to ask all of us as heavy as really the passage is in the times in which we live. Are there any areas of your life where you've been making exceptions? Where you've been making excuses? Where you've been blaming someone else? When in faith, God is just calling you to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To do good, even if it's not reciprocated even if it's not easy. We all need the Lord to help, help us remember that evil won't be overcome by us doing evil. Now, before we close, because of the events of this past week, I need to ask one more question for us to reflect on a little bit. I don't have time to develop it entirely, but we need to ask the question and wrestle a little bit with it. And that is, does doing good, no exceptions, mean that if we were Ukrainian Christians right now, that we couldn't fight back against Russian aggression? Is that what the passage is saying? No, that's not what it's saying. The text doesn't mean that at all. The Bible makes allowances for just war in other passages. We just don't have the time this morning to fully develop that idea for you. But just war is not an exception to you and me endeavoring to become personally good to the very core of our being as the text here is challenging us to become. And further, the Bible makes allowances for self-defense in lawless environments. That also is not an exception to being wholeheartedly devoted to developing personal goodness. But with that said, do you know what might be an exception to being personally devoted to the thorough development of goodness in our lives? You know what might be an exception to that? Living as though the apex example of what's right is what you do with a shopping cart. 
So let me just say, let's all put our shopping carts away, okay? But let's not neglect the weightier matters of our spiritual development simply because it's difficult and painful. I want to encourage you to follow the supreme apex example of goodness in our personal lives, Christ. Let's devote ourselves to doing good, no exceptions. There's forgiveness when we fail. But God is honored by the sincere pursuit by each of us. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to pray this morning. Recognize this is just really a hard passage. I just encourage you to wrestle with it. It's a sobering passage, particularly in light of the world affairs and so forth. But uh, need to be praying these kinds of things over the believers in Ukraine, in other parts of the world, and each other. So, If you need prayer for something in your personal life afterwards, come on down. We'd be happy to pray with you afterwards. Maybe, let me just say, if, you're not in there, if you've not invited Jesus into your life, what I've talked about today is going to seem impossible. Because let me just tell you, even once you've invited him into your life, sometimes it seems impossible. It's not, but it, it feels that way because it's such a high bar beyond where we all live normally. So if you've never invited Jesus into your life, my encouragement to you is just look heavenward. He died and paid the penalty for your sins. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. We'll never do enough good things to deserve it. But because he's merciful and compassionate, he wants to walk with you through all of this. Because on the other side, uh, it's going to be a whole lot better. It'll be a whole lot better. The other side of this roundup of evil that may be beginning. We'll see. If you need prayer, come on down afterwards. Um, if you'd like to just pray for some of the folks in Ukraine afterwards, you know, come on down afterwards. I know some of us will be down here. We'd be happy to pray together and just... Uh, do that. If you got other things, you got to head somewhere, got to be somewhere, that's okay. No, no harm, no foul. Just if you'd like to, we'd invite you to do it, all right? Let's bow our heads. We'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for your provision for our many, many shortcomings and sins. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your apex example of what's right. When without insult or sin, without having anything to gain from it personally. You laid down your life for us. You did the right thing for our sake. And we thank you that, that you wanted us that badly. Lord, help us to want you bad enough that we'll orient our lives around what's important to you. Lord, the truth is we need your help, every one of us. We're not strong enough to walk in righteousness on our own. So would you fill us? Would you cleanse us? Would you make us yours? Would you walk in us, with us, through our lives today, this week, this month, whatever's ahead, whatever we got left in life? Would you walk with us? We'll rejoice to be your children. And now, Lord, would you go with us as we leave this place? May the things we've talked about sort of reverberate in our minds and our spirits. And may you steer us in the right path because of that. Go with us now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.